0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. I want to say to all of you who are visiting with us, to all of you who are members here, all of you who are watching online, welcome in the name of Jesus. May his peace be with you this upcoming Holy Week. Speaking of Holy Weeks, we have a night of worship this Friday night where we'll celebrate together and worship together here at the church building at 6 p.m. this Friday night on Good Friday in preparation for Easter Sunday, which is next Sunday. And and Easter Sunday, as is our tradition and practice, we're going to gather together uh, during Bible class time at 9.30, but we're going to gather over in the gym and we're gonna have a breakfast together. We're gonna to celebrate by breaking bread together and celebrate what God's doing, not only in our lives, in your individual lives, not only in this community, but what he's doing throughout the whole world in his promise, his preferred present and his promised future of resurrection. We are a church, The Springs is a church that is being transformed in the image of Christ so that many, that anyone can find their way to God. And we do this by three ways. We gather together in the name of the Father like we do here and in other settings. And we wanna grow into the image of His Son. And we wanna go, be His people of mission, and be sent by the power of His Holy Spirit. So this year is the year of go, and we've been in a sermon series called Your Story, Scripture and the Mission of God. I want, to thank, I want to thank John Osborne for filling in last moment last week. It is a long story of how the flight got delayed, and that's a story I'll tell some other time. But for everyone that was involved and for your patience, thank you. Things happen, and I'm thankful for our congregation that is willing to be led by God's Spirit and is prepared to serve and answer the call. So let's continue in this study of uh, this sermon series, Your Story of Scripture and the Mission of God. We're in Exodus 19, one through eight. The word of the Lord says this. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Raphindim, they entered the desert of Sinai and the Israelites camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell them, tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and how I brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep the covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you're to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders and the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Let's pray. God, as always, we give you thanks for this community, for the time of worship, for breaking bread, for the gifts that you've given us. And God, we recognize this moment as a gift. It's a gift to all of us. Your word, because we believe that we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. And so, God, as we, as we read your word, as we proclaim your word, as we hear your word today, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that will follow. Give us lives and bodies that will obey. And, God, I ask for the gift of preaching. We pray all this and ask for this gift from you in the name of of your gift to us, Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. So I remember being in high school, and I remember distinctly driving in the back seat of my parents' car, and my parents turned around and just said, hey, Ben, Vince Mudd, who was in the youth group with me here at the Springs, and he was my childhood best friend, he said, Vince wants to know if you want to go to church camp this summer. I go, what church camp? If you want to go to SoulQuest, which was in York, Nebraska at the time. Now, you've got to understand something about me when I was uh, younger. I wasn't as outgoing as you may think I am now. Believe it or not, I'm an introvert. I was shy. I didn't like being around big groups of people. And to be fair... Church is something I always went to, but it wasn't my primary interest. In fact, some of you could probably relate to that on some level. Some can't, but some can. So I said, "Ah, do I have to go? And I said, well, I mean, it'd be, Vince kind of wants you to go. Be nice to go with Vince. I think he really wants you to go. But mom, do I really have to go? I think it'd be good for you to go, but it's up to you. And to be honest, feeling the guilt and shame of not wanting to tell my best friend no, I was like, okay. I'll go. And we rode that bus all the way up to York, Nebraska. And I remember thinking, why am I here? Why did Vince ask me? It's not something I do, I want to do, I like. Why am I here? And then I remember walking in, we stayed in the dorms, and man, they packed those dorms out. There wasn't much room. These were two-person dorms, but I remember staying with like eight people in one room. But as I'm walking in to the dorms, the dorms, at least the dorms at York, they used to have tile floors that went down the hallway. So it was a big, long hallway, rooms on the side, bathrooms down the hall. And I remember going up with my suitcase in, and to my surprise, it was chaos in there because in the hallway, there was a group, a large group of young high school boys that decided to put water all the way down the tile, all the way down the slippery tile of the hallway, and they put soap all the way down. So I walk in to all these guys doing the slip and slide all the way down the hall, and I'm ducking out. And I'm pretty sure there was one who was naked doing it. I have no proof. I have no proof of this, but my recollection it might have been Steve Shoemaker. I'm not sure, but I have no proof. And that's an image you cannot take away from your brain now. You're welcome. And I looked at this and I thought, is this what we're supposed to be doing here? is this what church camp is about? Now, I've just given Leah all kinds of headaches because they're like, well, they used to do it at church camp. Good luck with that, boys. (laughs) Be careful. Tread lightly. And then there was this rule that you couldn't attend worship service in shorts. I lived in shorts. My whole life was in shorts. It'd be five degrees outside and I'd show up to school in shorts so guess what I didn't pack nor did Vince pack we didn't pack any long pants we only had shorts they said you're going to have to wear shorts so we're like we didn't bring any shorts so the question became what are we going to do and one of the counselors there had several pairs of MC Hammer pants does anybody remember MC Hammer pants And they happened to fit Vince and I. I searched up and down for pictures. I'm sure there's pictures out there of Vince and I in these MC Hammer pants. And thank God I did not find any because I'm pretty sure I looked exactly like one of these guys. And I asked the question, why, do, why, do we, why are we doing this? You probably ask these questions, whether it's you've been in a, at a, some place, or in a group, or in a meeting, perhaps meetings happen like this, or some of you guys may be asking, younger guys and girls may be asking this question all the time, why am I here? Why are we doing this? Why am I even here? What am I supposed to be doing? What's the purpose of it all? As we look at our text today, in Exodus 19, beginning in 3 and 4, it gives us some idea about purpose, about why, to all those questions. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you here? What in the world are you supposed to be doing? Because it says this, Then Moses went up to God, and the word and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God begins by saying, not addressing them about what they did. He says, You have seen what I have done. This is what God does. Egypt is the story. It is the pinnacle, one of the pinnacle stories that frames the rest of Scripture about what God has done, is doing, and will do. You have seen what I have done, how I carried you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. And this is the purpose. He brings his people to himself. That's what God does. This is the story of salvation. And I want to remind you from what we talked about a few weeks ago is that you're not just saved from something. You are saved for something. You are saved for a purpose. God's purpose in the world. God's mission. He brings us to himself. Not just for himself, but for his purposes in the world. Then he goes on in verse five to say this. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. In the story of Egypt, what I find very interesting is that obedience is not the condition out of which they're taken out of Egypt. I mean it just can't be in that sense because remember while we know who this God is remember he has to tell Moses Moses says what's your name because while we live in a world where we think right that there's one God Moses lives in a world where we're like wait a minute there's many many gods which one are you? They don't even know his name so when Moses shows up even though he gives them his name they're like who's this? And he addresses and he says sells, sells Pharaoh, let my people go. And God does this work and he brings them out of Egypt. But then once they come out of Egypt and they come to the place in the Sinai Desert in front of the mountain. Obedience becomes the condition as life under God. Remember the story of Egypt and Yahweh, the story of salvation It's not just freedom from for freedom's sake. You're freed from Egypt and freed for Yahweh. As Paul says, you're going to be a slave to someone or to something. And so, in this story, obedience, the purpose of obedience for God's people, for Israel, and for God's people, is this. It's for life as God intended it. It is a way of life. This goes all the way back to creation. You can really get the sense that in Genesis chapter one that God speaks a word to creation, he says light, that he gives this command and light happens. It obeys. And throughout all the creation story, God gives these commands to the elements. You can read it in this way, and they obey. And every time that creation obeys, the, the conditions for life just keep growing and growing and growing. I would often talk about in Uganda because they would talk about nature in this way. Can you imagine if the sun did not obey God and refused to come up? They were like, oh. If the sun refused to come up and did not obey, life's not possible. In other words, the purpose of obedience is that God creates a world in which life can thrive and life as he intended it. And so obedience, the purpose of obedience, it's, not, it's for life. But it's not just obedience for you and for life for you. That's the mistake that we often make. That we obey for our own life. You're missing the purposes of God. You don't obey just for yourself, you obey for the sake of the world, to make life possible, an abundant life possible for everyone else. That is one of your missional tasks if you are a person of God. I'm gonna make a confession this morning. I'm not really a handyman. And I'm going to throw somebody under the bus with me. Steve Buck is not a handyman. Thank you, Lisa. That is the first amen I've ever gotten out of Lisa. Like, that is, that is, my day is, can I go sit down now? Lisa, now, now you've made me feel really uncomfortable. She's like, yes, please sit down, Ben. Many of you are handymen, so if you wanna bless and serve, come to the Bucks or the Langfords house and you can fix all kinds of things. And when you ask, Steve or I, to go fix something at your house, we're gonna hate your living guts. And then once we come over, because we're gonna be nice about it, we're gonna come and try to fix it, once we finish, you're gonna hate our living guts. But I was putting together a hitch uh, for, we were going on this trip over spring break, and we needed extra the luggage room, so it was a luggage hitch. It wasn't that complicated. Even I can do it. I'm actually probably more handy than I think, but I just get so frustrated so quickly. I have no patience for it. So we get to this point, I'm almost done, and I'll have the right the right size, the right size ratchet, right? You know, the language for this stuff. But I'm like, what is the 26 millimeter? Like, what in the... So I go and ask my neighbor, is every tool in the world, he doesn't have it either. I'm like, this thing doesn't even exist. How can they give me instructions this thing did not even exist? So I go up to, the, I go up to the, uh, the hardware store, which usually, by the way, the last time I fixed my gate, I made like four or five trips to the hardware store over the same, one same screw. I couldn't get it right. I finally found it. And I fixed it. It was a miracle. I, fi- I did it. It was a miracle. Praise God. Do not ask me to come fix anything at your house. But my problem is this. If it doesn't work right immediately, at least with physical things, other things I've got patience for. I just don't have any patience. I get frustrated if it doesn't work right. Some of you are more like God in this. You could tinker and be patient and go to the hardware store 45 times in one day. And you're patient. With whatever you're putting together. That is godly. I am not godly in that way. I start like wanting to throw things and it's done. Obedience is about fulfilling God's purposes. So that life works as God intends it to be. It's like he wants all the parts right, to fit together. Now God is patient, like many of you are, and works a long time. He doesn't get as frustrated as I do. But that feeling of frustration, that life is not working in this sense, I don't want it to work. And obedience is that so life will not only work for you, but life will work as God intends it for the entire world whether the world accepts it or not it's about god's mission in the world that's the purpose of obedience then we go on in 5 verse 5 and 6 it says now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession although the whole earth is mine you will be for me a kingdom of priests a holy nation These are the words you are to speak to Israel. So if the purpose of obedience is about God's purposes in the world, it's about God's mission, here's the purpose of salvation, one of the purposes. The purpose that God saves you, the purpose that God saves Israel is to be a treasured possession. Save in the English language, has two different meanings. The first one is the way we oftentimes use save or salvation to save something in church. So the way we use this language in church, it's it's to keep safe or rescue someone or something from harm or danger, but that's not the only way we use that language of save, and I think it also applies to the way we think about salvation In this text as well, save for us also means this, to keep or to store up something, especially something like money for future use. So we can think about salvation as God saving us, rescuing us from harm or danger of Pharaoh, but that's not the only reason God saves you. He also saves you for his purposes. And this whole treasured possession language comes out of really a royal kind of context that happened in, in biblical times. How they actually thought about the world. So it was used to describe the personal treasure of a king or his family. And even though the whole land and all the people would be considered property of the king, as it says in this text, even though the whole world is mine, you are my treasured possession. But the king also had his personal treasure which he took great delight in and used for his purposes. Now what's remarkable is about this for Israel is that God chooses Israel to be his people. It's not actually, it's not that God, it's, it's remarkable that God says the whole world is mine. That's what's remarkable to Israel. It's not so much remarkable that God has chosen Israel. What's remarkable to the Israelites is that he might say that the whole earth is mine. Now that might sound strange to you, but in these times, remember, there's not one God that we think of that owns the whole world. This is how the world works. The Babylonians have their God, the Egyptians have their God, the Greeks have their gods, the Romans have their gods, and you just start going, the Persians have their gods, and you just start going around. And gods are local and they have particular people. This is a very radical idea when he says, although the whole earth is mine. What? That's not how gods work. The notion that God would claim the whole world to be under his rule and reign is unheard of. But for us, we have no problem imagining and confessing that God is over all. We've seen that, we've confessed that, we pray that. We say Jesus is Lord of all. We do struggle, though, I think, with the idea of God being God's special possession. Because the first thing, and I struggle with this, we hear it and it sounds just arrogant, doesn't it? I mean, especially if that, like my sermon got out to somebody, oh, you think you're so special, huh? You think you're God's special person. And it sounds arrogant probably because of the times the church has acted arrogantly. Like, oh, we're special. Don't look at the big log in my eye, but we're special. But I think the other thing is why it sounds odd to us is that we don't understand it. And this is what I mean by that. We don't understand that it's the particularity of Israel that God chooses a particular people it's intended to serve the universal purposes of God. So Israel's election serves God's mission. God's mission doesn't serve Israel's election. Do you hear that? Just like Abraham was chosen not to be special just for the sake of being special, he was chosen for a purpose, for the blessing of the entire world. God uses particular people like Jesus, a particular human being, for the sake of the world. God uses the particular out of a concern for the universal. God uses the small parts for the sake of the whole. God uses one person for the very life of the world. So God saves his people to be a treasured possession in order to bless all of creation. That's what it means when you are saved to be God's treasured possession. And here's what the purpose of being God's treasured possession is. 5 through 6. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Our purpose as God's treasure possession is to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The kingdom of priests and holy nation define what it means to be God's treasure possession. In other words, God's people, their role, is to match their status. Their role is to be a kingdom of priests and a holy community amongst their neighbors. So here's what that looks like. A holy nation. Holy is often associated with morality, and it should be, but it really just means set apart or unique. So you can see how your treasured possession, that if I have... If I have this thing in my house and I use it, I'm gonna set this apart for something special. This has a specific purpose I'm gonna use it for. Maybe it's money that I'm gonna use for a specific purpose. You'd be set apart, and they're set apart in two ways. One, they obey the Lord. What separates them from Egypt and life under Pharaoh is the same thing that separates them from all the other nations. You are set apart for God's purposes in the world, not Pharaoh's purposes in the world. Remember, Pharaoh is a God pretender. You're not set apart to pretend to be like God. That's not what you're set apart for. That's what Pharaoh does. Pharaoh sponsors the interest of the powerful. You're not not set apart to sponsor the interest of the powerful. Pharaoh, all he cares about is what people can produce. You're set apart. You don't value people on what they produce. If you do, that's what Pharaoh values. But the other way they're set apart is they're set apart for a specific purpose. And this is the purpose, to be a kingdom of priests. Priests have a very special function in the world. They stand between God and the people. They represent God to the world. That's what we mostly think of priests do. So they're the voice of God. They teach his word. They proclaim his salvation. They model his kingdom. They talk about the way the world should be. The way God intends it to be. But that's not the only thing that priests do. Priests aren't just God's representative to the people to show what god looks like and what god's doing in the world priests also who stand between god and the world they also represent the world back to god let me tell you something when you came to worship this morning you did not come for yourself I want to change the way you fundamentally think about your worship. Because some mornings, you're not going to feel like it. And some mornings, you're not going to like it. You're not going to like the songs we sing, the sermons I preach. You're not going to like it. You don't come on behalf of yourself alone. You come on behalf of the entire world to do, to represent and do for the world what the world refuses to do in hopes that the world will join in and finally Give God praise and glory. We read it this morning. If I don't cry out, the rocks will. If someone doesn't cry out to God and give him praise, the rocks will cry out on your behalf. What you do and what we do right here is a missional moment. We come with all the baggage, with all the sin, with all the problems, with all the joys, with all the tears, with all the laughter, with all the hate, with all the love. We bring all this stuff on behalf of the world, whether you do it or not. Whether you actually do it or not. I love what you said this morning. We come on behalf of Ukraine. And their enemy's Russia. Russia. Not because we're attacking anybody or being attacked, but we come on behalf of creation and say, "God, reign among us." We come on behalf of the people. Forgive us. We don't. Know, we know not what we do. There are people hurting in the world, God. There's glory that needs to be given to you, God. And we do it despite their refusal to do it, but in hopes that one day they'll join in with all of creation and sing praises to God. You're here for a purpose, and it's not just for yourself. And we will not grow in Jesus Christ until we understand that you are not here for yourself on Sunday morning. You're just not. Vince invited me to Soul Quest. And I didn't know why I was there. I didn't know why we did what we did. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. But that was part of my journey. To where I am today. And a little later on that journey, we used to do this thing when they were in the youth group called Straight Up. It was on Wednesday nights. Some here have been here long enough that you may remember it. It was an outreach thing that we did with the youth group. Toby Slough was our youth minister, and we did it up on OC's campus. It was designed to be culturally relevant. So this was long before the spring started using musical instruments in worship. We started, and they played songs, but they played secular songs that had meaning and purpose to them, that, that, that matched a theme. And then Toby would get up, and he would share a message around that. And we were invited to bring our friends. And I didn't want to go. I was still like, ah, why would I have to go? My friends and stuff, they, they, they would pack this place out. And then one day, I remember Toby, I was there. He was like, Ben, I need you to do something. I need you to do something really important. I was like, uh, okay. He said, I need you to stand back here behind the stage, behind the corner, right? And I need you, when it's time, when we give you the go, to pull on that curtain, I need you to open the curtain. I, it's really important. You've got to go do this. You want me to do that? Yeah, I want you to do that. Toby asked me to open the curtain for Straight Up. That may not sound like a big deal to you, but over time I was like, Mom, I gotta go straight up. They can't do it. Who's gonna open the curtain? Now I was stupid and 16, but in the back of my mind I was like, they can't do this show without me. <laughs> I mean, there was, like, there was like practice of instrument. I mean, there was like the practice of the band and Toby did all this work. All I had to do was show up and open the curtain. I was like, they can't do this without me. I can't tell you how that affected my own walk of faith. All of a sudden, the questions of why am I here? Why are we doing this? And what am I supposed to be doing? Began, started began becoming Clear. Here's the question for us today. Is this church ready to answer the call? And I have no doubt that we've answered it. But it's this ongoing call that we have. Is the church ready for the holy purposes of God set before us? Is this community ready to answer its priestly calling and bring God to the world and the world to God? And the question is this, what about you? Are you ready to answer God's call? Are you ready to live into God's salvation, not just save from, but save for something? Are you ready to answer that call to live into God's purposes? You, as an individual, are you ready to live into those purposes, those holy purposes to be set apart for something? Are you ready to answer that priestly calling? To stand between God and the world and the world and God. And I tell that story about straight up to say this. If you're not sure, it can be something as simple as opening a curtain. Some of you may need time to just sit and heal. And we want this to be a place for you. But I did that when I graduated college and I went up to East County, Church of Christ in Portland. I just needed time to sit on the back row. But months turned into like nine months and a year. I found myself dwindling Till I answered the call and said, what can I do? What can, how can I be a part of this body? How can I serve? And it transformed my faith. And it actually healed me. What is God calling you to do? Because if you're baptized into Jesus Christ, you're not just safe from something, you're safe for something. And if you're wondering about your purpose in life, I invite you to come to the waters of baptism. The baptism is not just being safe for some, from something. Baptism is a baptismal call for life for something. And each of us here, God is calling each and every one of us, remember your baptism. Come into those waters. Because on the other side is God's purposes for the world. Let's stand and sing.